Just want to let you know, and uh, we've been continuing our Lent theme of giving it um, up to God. And, you know, it kind of pairs in with our theme of connecting, because that's our year theme, is connecting. Or we want to really emphasize our value of connect. And what does that mean? Well, that means pretty much we want to connect people with people, but with the purpose of connecting uh, them to God. And that could mean a lot of things. You know, one of the things that, you know, we'd love to see happen is you um, connecting with your unchurched friends and then bringing them, you know, to church or maybe the golf event, you know, so we could connect them with the living God. Or it also could just be in your conversations, if you could keep that in the back or the recesses of your mind, you know, when you're talking. I know we went out with some friends um, yesterday and you know, you know, we, you know, they're really, you know, close friends of ours. You know, they don't go to church, but I don't know how the subject um, got onto, you know, spirits or that occupy houses. You know, and they said, "So, Pastor, what do you think about that?" And so then I was able to talk about, you know, this is how I view those things. You know, and I was able to, you know, talk about the origins of, you know, Satan and angels and demons. But in the end, I was able to say, you know what, you know, God is infinitely more powerful than any spirit or evil spirit that you might sense, and that ultimately God's going to win. But it's, you know, just those little conversations, too, where, you know, you want to point them, you know, to God. And that's what we're doing. But, you know, our Lent theme, once again, is giving, giving it up to God. And basically what we're talking about here is giving up attitudes or behaviors that hinder our ability to connect with either people or God. You know, we started off with control. Pastor Phil talked about control. And it's really hard to connect with people, whether it's your friends, co-workers, family members, if you're trying to control relationships, right? If you're trying to control the people around you, it's really hard to connect with them. It's also hard to connect with God, if you're trying to control God. You know, if we see our prayer life as, God, would you just please um, help me accomplish what I want to accomplish? You know, and that's how we pray to God. And it's tough. And last week we talked about unhealthy expectations. Once again, that hinders our relationship with people when we have unhealthy expectations of them or when we have... Um, unhealthy expectations of God. And you could see how that's going to hinder our ability to connect with Him. Well, today we're going to talk about giving up superiority. And you could see how the attitude of, well, you know what, I'm better than you. My ways, you know, are better than your ways. The way that I do things, the way I live my life, is better than the way that you live your life. You should live your life the way I live my life. You could see how that's going to hinder our relationships with people. And you know the attitude of superiority can run or be as serious as having racist attitudes. That as a person, I am better than people of a different race. And it could be as serious as that. Or it could be something more innocuous as, let's say, a school rivalry. You know, Marco talked about USC, you know, UCLA. 
Um, I grew up a diehard USC fan, right? And, you know, my son Michael, he's all excited about UCLA and Alonzo Ball. And he can't understand why I can't get excited with him. And I had to tell him, you know, Michael, I'm, I'm, I'm a USC fan. He goes, well, so? <laughs> you know, look at UCLA has a good basketball team. And he says, well, I could only root for UCLA twice a year. I said, that's during the bowl season, football bowl season, and during March Madness. Because I feel they're representing the Pac-12, and I want them to do as best as they can. But, you know, it's these rivalries that we have where, you know, sometimes USC people think they're better than UCLA or UCLA um, grads think they're better than USC. And, you know, it's, it's this fun rivalry, or I'm sure Wisconsin feels pretty good about themselves, you know, this morning, and all of your um, March Madness brackets were probably all blown up because of yesterday's game. But either way, the attitude of superiority can hinder our relationships or our ability to connect with others as well as connect with God. And today we're going to take a look at how Jesus, the Son of God, the God who created the universe, the God who sustained and holds this universe together, was able to give up you know, his uh, rank, his authority, and to talk to somebody who society felt was far superior, less superior than them. So if you turn your Bibles to John chapter 4, John chapter 4 with me, and we're not going to read the entire uh, chapter, but we're just going to uh, read a, a, a section of this. And this has to, has to do with Jesus' encounter with a Samaritan woman. It said, Now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John, although in fact it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. So here's Jesus, once again, gaining popularity. And it's really not the time for him to you know, start battling with the Pharisees over who's more popular, who's right. So he decided to leave um, Judea and go back to Galilee. But the next verse is interesting. The next verse, John 4, 4. It said, now he had to go through Samaria. He had to go through Samaria. Now this is an interesting verse. And just a little background on um, this. <clears throat> is there was a huge hatred between Samaritans and Jews. And basically the Samaritans were Jewish people who intermarried um, other races. And so they weren't pure, their blood wasn't pure Jewish. And so number one, the Jews felt them as unclean. But not only did they intermarry other races, what they did is when they intermarried, they also, the spouse of the uh, non-Jew, a lot of times brought their faith and their beliefs into the marriage. And so instead of having a, a pure form of Judaism, you had this hybrid of hodgepodge of Jewish beliefs mixed with other religions based upon whatever that person uh, believed. And so the Jewish uh, people felt that, you know, the Samaritans were not pure. And once again, they viewed them as unclean, and the Jews definitely, definitely viewed Samaritans as being less superior than them. Where the Jews felt superior 
to the Samaritans. And so no self-respecting Jew would go through Samaria. Okay, no self-respecting Jew would go through Samaria. They would walk around Samaria rather than to step foot, you know, as they were traveling. But it's interesting the thing that says Jesus had to go through Samaria. Now, as we see, Jesus was not in any rush to go. Because to go from Judea to Galilee, what you would do if you would go around Samaria, you would shave about three days off your journey. And so we see that Jesus wasn't in any hurry. So it wasn't like he had to go through Samaria. The reason that he went through Samaria, because there was an encounter that God wanted him to have. And we're going to see that right here. In chapter, um, verse 5 through 6. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sechar, near the plot around, <coughs> plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. And Jacob was there, excuse me, Jacob's well was there, and Jesus was tired as he was from, Jesus was tired as he was from the journey, and sat down by the well, and it was about noon. So here he is tired, it's noon, it's the hottest part of the day. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? For his disciples had gone into town to buy food. And the Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Now, basically, Jesus being a Jew, as well as a Jewish uh, teacher, he broke two cultural norms here. Number one, he talked to a woman. Because back then, men did not communicate with a woman other than, let's say, someone in his own household. Okay, so men were, did not talk to women, especially a religious a leader. A religious teacher would not talk to a woman because back then women were, you know, had no authority. They had no power and pretty much they were viewed lower than the family pet. So if you were going to take a look at my household, if I was a Jewish, um, if we were, I had a Jewish family, of course I'd be number one. Michael would be number two. Enzo, my Maltese, would be number three. And number four would be Grace, my wife. Because that's how they viewed women back then. That you wouldn't even talk. So Jesus, you know, you know, wasn't even supposed to talk to her. Wasn't supposed to talk to her. It would be beneath him as a Jew and especially as a religious leader to talk to a woman. Just didn't do that. Number two, she was a Samaritan. There is no way a self-respecting Jew would even talk to a Samaritan. For the pious Jew, this would have been a disgusting act. It just didn't happen. Yet Jesus spent time to talk to this woman. But he met her at 12 o'clock, the hottest time of the day. And why did she come? To gather water. Because you're talking about these big heavy jars that they had to carry. And most of the, well, practically all the women would not go to the well at 12 o'clock. Why? It was hard. Who wants to carry a heavy jug of water um, from the well home during the hottest part of the day? They would normally go in the morning 
or they would normally go in the late afternoon when it was cooler. But this woman showed up during the hottest day. And why was that? Well, we found out later that this woman had been um, divorced several times. And the person or the man that she was living with at the time was not her husband. It was somebody else. So even to the Samaritans, this woman was living a scandalous life. And she was probably an outcast. And so probably what would happen when the women would get um, to go to the well to draw water, they'd just be talking among themselves. Maybe they'd be talking about the children. They'd be talking about what's going on during their day or whatever it was. But if this woman showed up in that, uh, during that time, who do you think they would be talking about? They'd be talking about her. They'd say, oh my gosh, look who's here right now. Uh, don't talk to her. You know, she's such a sinner. It's like, oh, she's bad, you know. And so the reason she was there at 12 o'clock was because no one else was there. And she didn't want to have to go through public, the public ridicule that she would have gotten. And so Jesus t- broke three cultural norms. Number one, he talked to a woman. He talked to a Samaritan. And he talked to a sinner. Right? And none of the religious leaders you know, would have done that. Why? Because they felt superior to these people. And they would have never talked. But Jesus um, talked to her. But why did Jesus talk to her? Um, and the answer is in the next verse, verse 10. It says, Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God, and who is it that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. And this verse is so key. This verse is so key. Because why did Jesus talk to her? Because Jesus did not see her as somebody that was less than him. Jesus did not see her as somebody who was an immoral sinner. What Jesus saw was a woman who desperately needed to hear the good news of salvation. A woman who probably believed there was no chance that God would ever love her or, he, or who could never have a, ever have a relationship with God because of her lifestyle. A lonely woman a woman that, like I said, was just embarrassed to be a part of this community. Jesus saw that in her, in her. And it was more important for him to reach out to her, to tell her the good news, to tell her that, number one, God loves her, to number two, that God can give her living water, that she's acceptable in God's sight. That's why that was so important. And that's why he didn't feel superior like most Jews would. And this is how we should see people. You know, when we view people, you know, we should view people, you know, especially those of the people we don't know who are, don't know Jesus Christ, that we should view them as people who desperately need to know the love of God. You know, there are friends, there are our co-workers, there are family members, but do we see them like Jesus sees them? Do we see them 
as people that desperately need to hear the good news. To hear the news that there is a God out there who loves you. To hear the news that there's a God out there who accepts you. There is a God out there that forgives everything that you've done, past, present, and future. There is a God out there that has marvelous plans for you if you let him, if you yield your life to him. Do we see people like that in that way? Or do we see people with a sense of superiority? And so how do we start breaking down this mindset of, or this attitude of superiority? Well, it starts by having the mindset of Christ. Because where does this attitude of superiority come from? It comes from the need to be esteemed. Now, all of us need to be esteemed, right? And the Bible says, and the Bible is clear, that our esteem should come from God. But the world says that our self-esteem should come from, well, you know what? I'm superior than you because I look better than you. You I feel superior to you because I'm smarter than you. I feel superior to you because I have more than you. I I feel superior to you because I have more power and more prestige than you. But why do we always have to compare ourselves with other people? One, that's where we get our self-esteem from. Because if we don't get our self-esteem from God, what's going to happen? We're going to try to get it from the world. And basically, in the world, what we have to do in order to feel you know, good about ourselves, a lot of times we need to make the people around us feel less superior. And, and you, we may not be the ones that actually say things to them to make them feel less superior. But one thing that I know a lot of us do is we withhold compliments. You know, how many times have you seen somebody do something well or better than you? And you may not knock them, but you didn't say it. You didn't affirm them. Why? Well, because if I affirm them, what if they think, oh, they're better than me? What if everyone starts to think, oh, They're smarter than me. They're a better basketball player than me. Their children are better than my children. And this is where this whole insecurity comes in. And so we withhold compliments. You know, one of the best things we could do for people is to esteem them. You know, when you see them doing something well, you know, let them know. Let them know. But we need to have the mindset that comes from Christ. So, once again, let's turn to Philippians 2, 3. Philippians 2, 3. And so how do we do this? How do we do this? How do we have the mindset of Christ in order to, you know, not only build people up, but to deal with the, our attitude of superiority? And it, you know, in my case, my attitudes of superiority definitely did come from a lack of esteem. Or, you know, there are times when I just have low self-esteem. I don't feel good about myself. Therefore, this is where, at least for me, a lot of times that's the source of my feeling superior, is just that I just lack self-esteem at times. But what is the, um, the Apostle Paul says? It says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, 
value others above yourself. So the first thing that Paul says here, if we want to break that attitude of superiority, is to value others above yourself. Value others above yourself. I mean, it's okay if somebody's better than you. There's always going to be somebody better than you. But not to let your self-worth be tied to whatever this world thinks you need to have in order to be esteemed. But what does he say here? Value others above yourself. Put the needs of others above yourself. And then he also goes on. It says in verse 4, not looking to your own interest, but each of you to the interest of others. So when you're doing something, when you're planning an activity, um, are you looking to plan this activity with the needs of others in mind? Or are you primarily looking to plan this with your needs in mind? And Jesus is saying, if you want to break this attitude of superiority, you have to put the interests of others before you. It says, in your relationships with one another, verse 5, have the same mindset as Jesus Christ. Once again, have the same mindset of Jesus Christ. Who, being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. And being found in the appearance of man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. Now here's Jesus, the guy who, got, who created the heavens and the earth, the guy who sustains the whole universe, the guy who occupies every space in this universe. <clears throat> All of a sudden, he's confined to a human body. He's confined to a human body. I mean, I don't think we could even come close to understanding what that's like. I mean, it's even worse if we were to t- occupy, let's say, the body of an ant. You know, we're a human being, and all of a sudden, we become this ant. But Jesus humbled himself, and he took the form of a human. But not only did God, the creator of the universe, take the form of the hu- a human, what did he do? He humbled himself. What? To be obedient to death, to die on the cross for us. This is the mindset that Jesus had. That number one, he put our interests above his. He put his deity on hold in order to follow, you know, what the Father said. And when I said deity, I, don't, I mean his powers. Meaning that Jesus only used his powers, um, de- you know, his godlike powers at the um, request of God the Father. He put that all aside in order to die for us. You know, are we willing to care for other people that way? And finally, in Matthew 20, 28, the author says, Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for many. And this is key here. The key to giving up an attitude of superiority is to have an attitude of a servant. 
The key to giving up an attitude of superiority is to have an attitude of a servant. Once again, the God of this universe came to the earth. He did not come to be served. He came to serve. You know, Greg Laurie, you know, is the pastor of one of the um, largest Calvary chapels in the United States. And whenever he gets an intern, whenever he trains his pastors, they come to him and um, he gives them a broom. He goes, this is your first responsibility. And here they think, oh, my first responsibility is to study the Bible under Greg Laurie. You know, my first responsibility is to learn how to pray under the teaching of Greg Laurie or to do ministry under the mindful eye of Greg Laurie. And what do they get? He says, they get a broom. And they go, well, what do you want me to do with this broom? I want you to clean up. And he goes, and then what? I want you to clean up. And the reason he does that is number one, he understands that as a pastor in training, you have to have the heart of a servant. You can't go in there guns blazing, thinking you know everything there is to know about the Bible. You can't go in there with the attitude that, oh, I'm Mr. Prayer Warrior, and I'm bringing Jesus Christ to Calvary Chapel. No. What he's saying is you have to learn to be a servant before you can be an effective pastor. So I just want you to wax on, you know, wax off type of a mentality. And for us, this is how we learn to break down these walls of being superior. It's to serve. It's to serve others. Now, what's the, um, our challenge um, for this week? Our weekly challenge is to meditate on John chapter 4. I only read part of it, but what I'd like you to do is read the entire chapter. Second, I want you to reflect on any relationships where you might be feeling a sense of superiority. You might be feeling a sense of superiority, superiority you know, with a family member. It could be a sibling. Maybe you grew up being compared to your brother and sister all the time. And so there's this little rivalry amongst, you know, the family, right? Where, you know, there is a sense of, well, I feel better than, oh, I'm doing better than my brother. I'm doing better than my sister. Or it could be maybe a coworker. Or it could be somebody in this church. But I want you to think about any relationship that you might have where there, you just feel that you're a little bit better than them. And then I'd like you to ask God to change your attitude about these individuals. Change your attitude about these individuals. Then finally, you know, identify areas where you could practice serving. You know, it could be in this church. It could be, you know, wherever you're at. But what I'd like you to do also is, you know, when it comes to um, serving, think about the people 
that you kind of feel a little bit superior, that you feel a little bit better than them, and think of ways to serve them. Take it one step further. Instead of just serving, think about serving the people with whom you just feel a little bit better than. And that will definitely help you get the mindset of Christ. Let's pray, and will the worship team please come forward? You know, Father, I know that there are people here this morning whose self-esteem, Father, just might be teetering a bit. Maybe something happened at work. Uh, Maybe there was a, a failure, you know, at school where they didn't think that they did as well as they thought they would do. Or maybe, Father, there are just people in our lives that just remind us that we're not as good as them. And so, Father, for those here this morning whose self-esteem has been taking a beating, Father, would you let them know that you are there and that you understand? And, Father, that you love them And, Father, that you are proud of them. And that there's nothing they could do to make you love them anymore. And there's nothing they could do to make you love them any less. And, Father, we come to you with an attitude of confession. For the times where we didn't feel good about ourselves... And so we carried an air of superiority around those around us. Father, we want to confess and ask your forgiveness for the people, Father, that we've hurt by either putting them down or by not affirming them the way we should. So brothers and sisters, as you sit here right now, I'd like you to just sit here in the presence of God, of the loving God. And if your self-esteem, if your self-image has taken a beating lately, just allow the love of God to just pour into your hearts right now. To feel God's pleasure in you. To feel pride from the creator of the universe. The pride that he has in you.